Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is great to see you guys. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to continue a series we've been in for a couple of weeks now. What if Jesus was serious? And in this series, we kind of started the whole thing by saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you're a Christian, you can't expect, I can't expect anyone else to take Jesus seriously unless we're willing to say, I'll go first, right? You can't even expect people to take your faith seriously unless you're willing to take Jesus seriously. And one of the places where Jesus was the most like forthright, the most like kind of in your face in terms of his preaching was his longest and probably most challenging sermon he ever preached was called the Sermon on the Mount, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. That's a long sermon. It's like three chapters long. But we're going to start by just looking at the beginning part of it, and hopefully over time we can pack, unpack all of it. But throughout this series, we're going to be asking the question, if Jesus was really serious what does that mean for us today? It, it probably will force us to look deeply and be challenged to live differently than maybe we have. And that's not bad news at all. That has actually could be really good news and could actually bring some great hope to wherever you are today. And I hope that today is no different for you. Um, <coughs> pardon me. But as we start the series looking at the Beatitudes, we have to look at these eight statements that Jesus makes where he says, blessed are those, blessed are those. So he's talking about who is really blessed. Now, in his day, saying who is really blessed was a big deal because this word blessed here uh, is kind of a loaded term. I want us to look at our first verse today. Last week we looked at those who are poor in spirit. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go look at that because poor in spirit might not be what you think it is, but it's so encouraging when we understand who Jesus is opening the kingdom of heaven up to. Verse four, this week we look at, blessed are those who, let's say the highlighted words together, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Okay, so before we dive into the mourning and being comforted part, I want to talk, talk for just a minute about the blessed part because it's important. This is something that Jesus is repeating over and over and over. This word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios, which means happy or profound joy, the highest well-being possible for a human right? Well, this is interesting because in the first century, this is just as interesting and hotly debated and sought after as it is in the 21st century. People are still like, how, what, how do I get to the good life? How do I live my best life? How do I live this life to the full? How do I make the most of the time that I've got on this planet? Now, Jesus knew that it doesn't matter what generation, what time slot you look at throughout human history, we have always, always, always been interested in this issue. So this is an incredible attention getter that Jesus is doing right up front at the beginning of his sermon. He's like, you wanna know how to be really happy? Let me tell you, let me, let me talk about what happiness is and who is it for? Who is it extended to? Now, it's interesting that this idea of the pursuit of happiness is not a new thing. 
Even back in the 1600s, really smart guy by the name of Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician. He was a physicist, inventor, theologian, philosopher, all around smart guy, okay? But he wrote back then about this pursuit. He saw back in the 1600s this pursuit of happiness. Check this out and see if this doesn't sound familiar to our day. He says, all men seek happiness. Now, if he was alive in the 21st century, ladies, he would have included you too, okay? All women seek happiness as well. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of some others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. He goes on to say, they will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those, this is shocking, even those who hang themselves. He says, even those who commit suicide, somewhere deep down in them saying, I'll be more happy after this is over. Like anything is better than this, whatever I'm going through right now, this life. There's this pursuit of happiness and Jesus could see it in all of us. He knew, he, was our crea- he is our creator, he knew this about us. So this begs the question, how are we to understand the statement happy or blessed are those who mourn. How do we understand that? Because is that just him saying that we'll be really godly if we're really sad all the time? Now, some have come to that conclusion, but here's what I want to say to that. That um, some have made the Beatitudes into a to-do list for the Christian life or a set of attributes to aspire to, to if you want to be the perfect Christian. Now, let me push back on that a little bit because I believe what Jesus is doing here is not giving us another checklist of uh, kind of legalistic approach to Christianity, but rather he's showing us here are all the people no one has ever blessed, first of all, and secondly, has never been invited into a kingdom whatsoever, and I'm including them in mine. When we begin to do biblical interpretation in any passage, we kind of have to take a step back and ask a question. Is what is happening in this passage, is this to be taken as a particular or a universal? Is there, is there some part of this passage that's unique to this situation and this person, and what part of it is universal meant to be for everybody for all time? This is a really good question to ask. Now let's take, for instance, the calling of Peter. I'm using this because it's just a couple of verses before we get to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 4, it's not even just Peter, it's Peter and his brother Andrew. They're fishermen. Some of you may know this, and right outside of Capernaum, they're out there with their boats, and they're getting their nets ready to go fish for the day. Jesus is out early. He walks up, and he says this, verse 19, chapter 4. He says this. He says, come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now what happened in that moment right there when Jesus calls Peter and Andrew? This is a unique and particular moment. Jesus was not saying all people for all time, if you're a real serious Christian, you'll quit your job and you'll go into full-time ministry. Like if you don't do that, you don't really love me. Is that what he's saying? No. Because there's other places where Jesus calls people to follow him and go back home and serve your family. Go back and do this. And he he has a different way of 
of, of prescribing or describing what he wants them to do, but this part of fishing for people, that was universal. Like he wants people to be disciple makers. He wants people to pour into others, to love, show the love God's given to you, to others, to love your neighbor as yourself. Like that definitely is a part over and over and over we see that reiterated in the teaching of Jesus. But this part about the calling of Peter, it's unique. In other words, he wasn't prescribing all, what all Christians should do. He was simply describing what Peter did do. That's what happened right there. Now, so this same dynamic is at play in the Sermon on the Mount when we come to the Beatitudes. That some have looked at this list and said, oh, well, poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are meek, um, that, that should be us. Like we should adopt that um, that's a prescription for how to be blessed. Like, if you really want to be blessed, you should go out and do all those things. Instead of understanding that Jesus was showing us who was included. If you happen to find yourself in this circumstance, Jesus is saying, I want you to know the kingdom is for you too, right? Because if we follow the logic of this is Jesus making a list of all the to-dos we should do in the Christian life, then we'll have to come to the conclusion that being courageous and being joyful is somehow not very godly. And being perpetually sad and discouraged and, and having no courage and being weak, that's somehow a sign of true spiritual maturity, which is the opposite of what we see Jesus teaching over and over, that this is, there's this joy that I have come to bring you, and that I want my joy to be made complete in you. Over and over we see Jesus showing us that that's what he's called us to. In other words, Jesus is not prescribing how to be blessed in the Beatitudes, he's, but rather he's describing who is blessed. Who is blessed? And who is blessed was mind-blowing and shocking for them in the first century. And I think the more that we understand it today, it will be shocking to us. For those of you who might say, I don't think I'm really included in God's blessed list, he may say, I beg to differ and let me show you what I mean. So let's go back to our verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who, let's say it together, those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus here was talking about people who are grieving and are devastated by loss or those who are walking with those who they, that they love, a family member, a spouse, a child. You're walking with somebody who is devastated and grieving because of loss. Now, I want you to think about this deeply with me right now. Just like getting really gut level honest with yourself and God are you right now, in some areas of your life, are you mourning a circumstance or a person in your life today? May not be your whole life, but there's, there's a compartment. There's a part of you that is still sad, mourning. If you dwell on it for very long, you can feel the weight of the emotional tug on you because it's just sad, it's hard, it's difficult. I want you to think about it because we can be sad for lots of different reasons, Maybe for you, it's the loss of a mate, somebody you were with for a long time, and they have recently walked away, or maybe it's been a while, but it still hurts, and has broken your heart. You felt betrayed, maybe they cheated on you, they left you, they seemed to walk away like it didn't really matter to them, like it mattered to you, this relationship. They seem to walk away a little too easy, and it has hurt you. It has caused you to be so brokenhearted 
it has created this paralysis in you of rejection to the point where it's hard for you to even think about getting yourself back out there and meeting people and, and being with people again. And even being to church today is like a big step for you because you're, you've been so wounded deep down for so long. Maybe your hurt today is found in the role of being a parent. Maybe you're grieving, maybe you're mourning today because there's been a break in the relationship with you and your child. You're just not close with them like you used to be. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't feel close. Maybe you're mourning over the loss of their faith. They've walked away from their faith if you're a believer, and that's hard to take as a parent. Maybe um, you're grieving today over the loss of a child. Maybe it is that you lost your child, that they died in some way, and you don't ever get over that. Like, you learn how to cope with it, but years later, you're still hurting, right? Like, it's never, ever, like, okay. Like, you don't ever get to the place where, like, I'm good. It's hard, right? It stays hard for a long time. Maybe for you, the heartbreak that you have or the mourning that's there is over the death of a dream, something you gave yourself to and your life to. It was your career. It was your business. It was your, your life savings, and you, 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 you gambled it all, and you put it all on whatever that dream was, and you went for it. And maybe it was during the time of COVID or something else when everything shut down, and it you just haven't been able to come back and maybe you're later in the years of life and you're saying, I don't know if I have enough time to come back. I don't really know where to go from here and it's just sad. It's hard. It's difficult. It is a difficult season for you because of the death of that dream or maybe it's just a friend that betrayed you, walked away from you that seemed to walk away a little too easy, hurts you and it's just hard or maybe they walked away from their faith and you don't feel like you have as much in common as you once did, and it's just hard. Lots of things will break our hearts. But here's what I want you to keep in mind. Because this is a broken world, mourning, <clears throat> pardon me, is to be expected. But we do not weep as those without hope. <clears throat> if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, I just want to encourage you that you be reminded of this, but those who are not followers yet, if you're watching this online or if you're here live and you're considering becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, one of the greatest gifts that Jesus gives is the hope in any and all circumstances. Now, let's talk about that for a minute because I want you to know that there is hope for you today. Regardless of what it is, you may be mourning in some area of your life. Imagine for a moment if you had a friend that had the ability to come alongside you and say, I want you to be able to <clears throat> understand the level of passion and longing that the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ has for you in your current situation. I'd love for you to be able to begin to understand just how much God cares for you in your pain and in your grieving and in your mourning. Wouldn't that be great? Now let me tell you, and we're gonna unpack this together. Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 is that friend for you and I that can help us to begin to understand where is God in the middle of our frustration, our temptation, our grieving, our mourning. So let's take a look together. Hebrews chapter four, starting with verse 14. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, let's say the highlighted words together, who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Now let's talk about this word empathize. This is a powerful word. From its Greek root, it is actually a hyphenated word that, that means to suffer with, to suffer along with someone through something. In other words, it's showing the solidarity of God with you and with me in the middle of our pain and our suffering. Now, granted, it is easy, even natural, to believe that, hey, God's with us, he's blessing us when everything's going good, when everybody's well, and there's money in the bank, and everything's great, and everybody seems to be liking you, you know, all the, all the nice things are happening. But what this verse is telling us is the opposite of that. The opposite of that. That in our weaknesses, he empathizes with us there. That in our pain, he is pained. In our suffering, he suffers. This is, this is a side of God that maybe you were not aware of or maybe doesn't get talked about a whole lot in your life. You've never heard a sermon on it. But you need to understand that God empathizes. He gets it. Not just theoretically, but he actually gets the pain. He understands how hard, how difficult how heartbreaking it is and that he is willing to enter into that with you and I. And verse 15 goes on to say this. He says, but we have one who has been, let's say it together, has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He, there's no temptation that you are gonna go through or you are going through that he hasn't gone through. Yet he did not sin. He went through all of it. He's saying, listen, you are not alone. I am not alone in the middle of our pain and suffering because Jesus doesn't theoretically understand what you're going through. He realistically knows what you're going through. He has been there, done that, been through the pain. He knows, so whatever you're going through, don't you ever think this is unique to me. This is only, I'm the only one that nobody gets it, nobody understands. Jesus would say, I understand and I get it. And I have been through all of that, and I didn't sin. And that I didn't sin part isn't to try and shame you or guilt you or punish you in some way. It is a way of giving us a rescue. I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. But first we need to understand that when it comes to our suffering and our grieving, we have a Jesus, we have a Savior, we have a Messiah who was, yes, divine, but he was also a man in every sense of the word. He suffered just like any other man would. I love how Dane Ortland talks about this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. I want to read to you a passage helping us understand how Jesus can connect and understands what we go through. He was a sinless man, but not a sinless superman. He woke up with bedhead. He had pimples at 13. That's kind of hard to think about Jesus like that. But that's who he was. He was a real person. He goes on to say, he came as a normal man to normal people. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, suffocated, tortured, and killed. 
He goes on to say, he knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed them most. You feel that pain? Have you ever felt that? Like, I really need my friends and they're not here. Jesus gets that. He lived, it, had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfollowed him when he turned 33. He who will never unfriend us. Make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen. If Jesus were alive today, he would not be at the top of the social media chain. People would not follow him. He would not be most popular. He would definitely be canceled, all right? And just be clear about that, right? He gets it. He knows what it's like to be in pain and, and to feel alone. And he would never unfriend us. He, in other words, he not only relieves us of our trouble, but he, in the meantime, is with us in our trouble, that he is with us, he has not abandoned us, that he is right there with us. So whatever it is that's got you hurting today, what's got you mourning, what has got you grieving today, maybe it is a betrayal, it's a hurt, it's a loss of some, some sort, somebody's turned their back on you, and it hurts, I get it, and it like, makes you want to be depressed. And some of you would say, it doesn't make me just want to. I am, I'm depressed. And you feel misunderstood. And you wanna pull back and isolate in those moments. But you need to understand, it's in those moments when this fallen world starts to close in around us and we feel like trapped and there's no way out. You need to know, ladies and gentlemen, it's then, in that moment, right there, that Jesus says, I am with you. You are not alone right now. And he comes, he sits down right beside us and he embraces us and he, he, he shares the solidarity of God with us in that moment. I will not abandon you in your darkest moment because he was and he gets it and he loves you. You see, the lie of pain is that you're all alone. When we start feeling pain, we think nobody gets this. Nobody will understand this. Nobody, I, I should, you know, that's when people start saying, adios, church, God, Bible, I'm not, I'm done. But that's like the worst thing you could do because that's the one anchor to the source of hope that will pull you through the valley of the shadow of death, David says. It's in that dark valley, I fear no evil. Because why? You are with me, Emmanuel, God with us. And he says, I love this next line. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the rod for the shepherd was to defend the sheep. It was to protect them from the wolves. And the staff was to guide and direct them. It's your protection and your direction gives me hope. In my darkest moment, I wouldn't dare think of letting go of you, God. You're my only hope right now. And it's in these moments of darkness that we've got to hold on to God. When the lie of pain is saying you're all alone, Jesus is there to say, oh no, you're not. I am right here with you. You are not alone. You will never be abandoned. You see, Jesus 
our sinless priest, what's so beautiful about him is that he was abandoned on the cross, taking the sin of all humankind upon him so that we don't have to be abandoned in our sin. We don't ever have to. Because he is a sinless priest, it means that he never needs to be rescued. He only provides it. It means that he doesn't ever get stuck in the pit or the hole of sin like we are. He only is able to offer grace, mercy, and forgiveness up out of it. He's always in a position of rescue. You see, it's his sinlessness that is our salvation. It is his sinlessness that is imputed to us as righteousness and that God says, you're good because of what my son did on your behalf. You're free. And even in your darkest moment, I am there with you. My Holy Spirit will abide with you. Let's take a look one more time at this verse 15 that underpins all the promises we've been looking at. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to, let's say it together, to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way. That's kind of scandalous, isn't it? To think about Jesus has been tempted in every way. Yes, he has, but just as we are, but he did not sin. He sinless. What a beautiful thing. Now, I want to give you two exhortations from this passage that I think will help you if you are mourning in some area of your life, and I believe will give you great hope today. That is my prayer for you, that you'll come away saying, there is hope. There is hope And it is found in Jesus, our great high priest, who is sinless but merciful and gracious and kind and loving and does not abandon us. Let's talk about these two exhortations. The first one we already read in verse 14 of chapter 4. Let us hold firmly to the face we profess. When you're hurting and you feel alone and you start to believe the lie of the pain, you will isolate yourself, as I said. Resist that temptation to let go of the one source of hope that could pull you through that valley of darkness. Hold on. And I want to tell you, that's what the body of Christ so beautifully does. It doesn't do it perfectly and it doesn't do it flawlessly. People have flaws and they are not perfect, but we do this really well. And I have to brag on our small groups here at this church. And by the way, we launch small groups next weekend. Wink, wink. Just be thinking about that, praying about that. But I have seen people going through some of the darkest time and have told me, if it weren't for my small group, and then they proceed to tell me, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know how I would have made it through without their prayers, support, their love. These aren't perfect people. They're just people who are willing to, as Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. What the Apostle Paul is simply saying is, you know how Jesus empathizes with us? This is how we love our neighbor. We empathize with them. We empathize. We mourn with them. We come alongside them. We love them. And it's beautiful how, even if today you're saying, I'm not really mourning anything, Will, but I bet part of your story you did at some point. There was a hard time. There was something really difficult. God pulled you through. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we're told that the God of all comfort comforts us in our trouble so that we might be able to comfort someone else in any trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. 
What a blessing that we get to throw a line to someone. God will use us to be his hands and feet, his vocal cords, to speak love and mercy and grace and forgiveness to help that person to find the hope that they long for. This is so important. Think about, if you're not already in a small group, next weekend, registration opens. This could be a lifeline for some of you to take a step out of that pit you've been in for a long time. Here's the second or exhortation. It's found actually in the very next verse, verse 16. We haven't looked at yet, but let's look at it together right now. Let us then, and this is rooted in verse 15, the fact that Jesus is our high priest who is sinless and he has been tempted in every way and did not sin. Because that is true, this is true for us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with, let's say it together, with confidence. You don't have to come sheepishly, full of grace and guilt and that the righteousness of God has been given to you through Christ. And he says, you can come confidently to the throne of grace. What a gift. That's so beautiful. So that we may receive mercy and find grace, unmerited, undeserved forgiveness and favor with God to help us in our time of need. And let's be honest, we are in a time of need multiple times a day. We need to be in a heavy practice of coming before the throne of grace and calling on God with confidence in the name of Jesus. This is a gift that he gives to his children. If you're not a Christian today, consider this, having access to the throne of God through prayer. And so many Christians do not exercise this gift enough. It's beautiful in our time of need that he stands ready to give us mercy and grace. What a gift. So beautiful. And I want to encourage you today, maybe some of you need to call out to God and say, Lord, it's been a long time, but I need you in my time of need. I need your grace. I need your mercy just to make it through the next 24 hours. I need your grace and mercy to know how to deal with this person and this child and this job and this situation, this marriage. I need it, God. And I'm just so sad. I'm so, I'm mourned so long. I just have, I feel like I'm out of strength. That's a good thing to admit to God. I need your strength. Would you give me your strength, Lord? Absolutely, he will. I need your wisdom, James 1.5 tells us if any of us lacks wisdom, we are to ask God who generously gives to all who ask without finding fault. Isn't that beautiful? God who holds all wisdom is saying, just ask. I will help you. We don't ask enough. You see, ladies and gentlemen, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted we can pull away from this. If Jesus was serious, and I'm going to defer back to Dane Ortland's words. I loved how he put this. If Jesus was serious, then when you're in Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. Come on, you can do it. Come on, just try harder. Come on, you, you just, you'll pull yourself up by your own bootstrap. He knows you need him, right? I love this. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. He's right there with you. He loves you. He's going through it with you. You may have never realized that before. 
But today might be the day that you acknowledge that. God, I'm, I'm realizing for the first time you're in the middle of this heartbreak with me. You're in the middle of this catastrophe, this crisis with me. Thank you that you haven't sent me into this dark valley alone. Closer than any parent-child relationship could ever be, our Heavenly Father says, I will stick to you closer than you can realize. I am always there. I am one prayer away. I don't care how far you have wandered from me. You are always just one prayer away from being back right with the Lord. Would you take the next couple of minutes as we go before the Lord and let that prayer of coming back and right relationship with Him be your prayer? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.